Welcome to Parent Driven Development. I'm Chris Sexton, and today I'm here with my friend Jess. Hey, I'm Jess, and I'm here with my friend Kewu. Hi, I'm Kewu, and today we are here with our guest, Jessica Sager, who will be chatting with us about childcare in the time of COVID, which I am sure is a topic very much on everyone's mind here. Jessica Sager is the co-founder and chief executive officer of All Our Kin, a nonprofit that trains, supports, and sustains family child care providers to ensure that children and families have the foundation for success in school and in life. A graduate of Barnard College and Yale Law School, Jessica co-teaches a Yale University seminar on child care, society, and public policy. She has provided commentary on child care issues for Time, The Hill, New America, and Education Week. She currently lives in New Haven, Connecticut with her husband and their 15-year-old daughter. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here with all of you. I was so excited to see your name on our roster of upcoming guests because I actually happened to just finish reading Paul Tuff's book, Helping Children Succeed, which is actually available it's in its entirety online. And when we got the bio for, for you joining this episode, I was like, all our kin, that, that sounds really familiar. Like, where did I just come across that? And he had referenced the work that your nonprofit does for, for helping with the, the in-home in those early years and like the zero to three age bracket for a lot of the informal or, you know, family run small childcare situations. And so it's really cool to, to, to talk to you directly. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, he's done incredible work around everything children need to be successful. And if you have not read his two books, Helping Children Succeed, and there's, oh, How Children Succeed is the first mm -hmm. one, and then Helping mm -hmm. Children Succeed. They're both wonderful. And uh, anyone who cares about children or a child should definitely check them out. Yeah, I, what I really liked was the emphasis there on like very practical hands on support. So I think I remember the description in those books about the work that you all do. It includes biweekly visits from, or at least at the time that the book was published from, from master educators who model high quality childcare techniques for the providers and just offering a, this network of mentorship and guidance. And what I thought was so cool about that was really, like really treating childcare as a, profession and vocation worthy, you know, of, of like this long-term mentorship and guidance and not just like, oh, anybody can do it, but like to do it really well, that's really special. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's interesting, right? Because childcare has been so invisible for so long and now it's something that we're all seeing because it's happening mm -hmm. in the background of Zoom calls and it's necessary <laughs> for essential workers. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's everywhere, right? We can't pretend it doesn't exist. And the thing that I love about all our kin is that we get to work with this network of mostly women, some men, but folks who have just said, I'm going to provide this essential service because I care so much about my community. And so they have literally opened their homes to care for each other's children. And so you're absolutely right. Part of what we've done is to say these invisible workers they're caring for kids. There's nothing more important than that. That requires so much skill and knowledge and support. And so at All Our Kin, we've built, yeah, a whole platform of 
supports for those educators from training and coaching to business support, licensing support, outdoor education programs, lots and lots of things so that these educators can really thrive and be successful, but also so kids and parents can have access to wonderful care that's right there in their neighborhoods. I couldn't be more in agreement with you. Like this visibility, I think, of childcare right now is such a wild event in our society. Like, I can't help but think that this is going to transform how we value childcare in our society. I'm curious if you have thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I really hope so. It is so complicated because on the one hand, it's definitely true. Childcare has never been so visible. We've never had so many people talking about it. I think for a long time, we've been able to pretend that it doesn't exist because families and childcare providers have just filled in those gaps, right? And we can't do that anymore. So we're paying attention to childcare in a different way. But at the same time, you know, child care is really fragile. People who run childcare programs do not earn a lot of money. This was true even before the pandemic. And now with the closures that the pandemic has forced on many programs, decreased number of children and increased expenses for things like PPE and cleaning supplies, there are some projections that show us losing as many as of, as half of the childcare programs that exist in this country, both centers and family child cares. And if that really happens, it's going to be a disaster for parents and it's going to be incredibly difficult to rebuild. So it's like we're pivoting, right, between these two poles of recognizing that we need childcare and childcare being in terrible trouble. And I just don't know how we're going to collectively negotiate this moment. We at all our kin obviously are pushing really hard for government investment and employer investment and supporting our educators every way we can, but it is definitely a complicated time. Yeah, I feel like if nothing else, becoming a parent has really reinforced even for like I'm I'm a super strong introvert homebody. I have joked that the, the thing with quarantine and, and shelter in place and such is like, I'm, I'm privileged because we have already been used to a socially distant lifestyle anyway. But I think with, when you're raising kids, like we are not meant to do this alone, like, and alone, even encompassing a, even if we call it a, like a nuclear household unit, like that is not how it, it really works. You, you can't do it on your own. We need other people. We need this network. And I've always been so grateful for the child care help that we've we've had throughout the years, because I also have learned about myself that I am just not I am not well suited for being primary caregiver for for children on a for, for spending the majority of hours in a week towards that. I'm, I'm wondering what are some of the efforts that all our kin is is working on lately and kind of what are the I saw that you'd expanded from New Haven into Brooklyn as well, I think, right? And it sounds like you're you're both focusing on the you still have like the direct support for the providers, but also public policy advocating. Yeah. So when all our kids started, we started in New Haven 
because that's where I was in law school. And then, you know, because there was such demand for our services and so much hunger for the supports that we offered, we expanded to multiple cities in Connecticut. And yeah, we're now in the Bronx in New York City. But you're right. I think there's so much interest in our model and in ways to support family child care educators. That was starting to happen even before the pandemic, but especially now that we have begun training other groups all over the country in different pieces of our model and how to do parts of what we do. But we've also been teaming up with those groups and with family child care educators around the country to really advocate for a different way of investing in family child care. So, you know, we really need some federal relief, some federal investment in child care. The federal government has invested more in bailing out a single airline than the entire child care industry. That's both centers and family child care. So we've been doing a lot of advocacy work, but we've also been doing very direct work to support our educators and children and families through them. So that means finding and delivering PPE. It means getting really good public health guidance. It means helping them apply for all the sources of relief that do exist right now. And it means really supporting the social, emotional well-being of educators and helping them do that for parents and children. I mean, I was really struck by what you were saying about network because childcare educators so often play a really important role for both kids and parents, right? Mm -hmm. So I know my childcare educator was a huge partner in raising my child, right? And that's true for parents now. So childcare programs, whether they're open or closed, they are still doing virtual story times with kids. They're delivering books and they're calling parents and helping parents feel okay about navigating this new normal. So we're supporting them in doing all of those things and playing these new complicated roles in this new world, whether that is sewing masks for baby dolls so it doesn't seem so strange and scary for kids to reassuring a parent, you know, my child care is still going to be here after this crisis is over. You're going to be able to come back, which is something we've heard from a lot of parents is just critically important to them. So you mentioned advocating for policy. As someone who has a good network and family that lives nearby that I rely on, what would I do to help help advocate for this? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's really important for us to begin to reconceive childcare as a public good that benefits everyone, right? So whether your children are in paid care or not, it's so essential to the well-being of children and families. And in this moment, it's so essential to healthcare workers, to frontline workers, to all all the folks that we're counting on to keep our systems running during the pandemic, right? So, so we're seeing childcare as a public good in a new way. Another new role that childcare is filling is often providing a safe place for school-age children to go during the day while they engage in virtual learning. So, you know, we're asking childcare educators to hold an awful lot right now. And I think that's a powerful message to send and to share to, you know, your senators and Congress people at the federal level. There's been a huge push for $50 billion in relief funding for the country for childcare. That's barely going to be enough to keep programs open, but it would be a really good start. You can advocate at the state level. So make sure that your state is paying childcare providers, whether they're open or closed, just like they do schools, and that they're really investing in childcare because it will be 
devastating to a state if programs are destroyed. It takes a long time to build a wonderful child care, just like any other organization. And so we won't be able to snap our fingers and get these back. And, and parents are not going to be able to go back to work or stay at work if they don't have their child care programs available to them. The last thing I think is employers. You know, I think employers have a real opportunity to step up right now and to say, we're going to make sure that the people on staff who are responsible for children are able to do their jobs. And that means we're going to invest philanthropically in childcare. We're going to help fund childcare programs, number one, because it's the right thing to do. And number two, because at the end of the day, it's going to affect employee productivity and it's going to affect our bottom line. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, especially like if you look at sort of the economic impact of having childcare, I'm sure that this is something you think about quite a lot, especially in marginalized communities, like parents of kids ability to be economically like impactful and productive, I think is often completely dependent on childcare. And I'm curious, like if you see COVID especially like impacting marginalized communities in unique ways. Yeah. So let me speak to both parts of that. So first, you are so right about the economic impact of childcare. And, you know, family childcare is like the ones that we support at All Our Kin. They are small businesses, right? So they have a tremendous impact on both the business owners themselves and on the parents who are able to use that service to go to work. So one of the things that has gotten a lot of attention about All Our Kin, besides our impact on the quality of programming, is our impact on the economy. The University of Connecticut Center for Economic Analysis has found that every dollar we invest in building one of these new childcare businesses delivers a rate of return of 15 to $20 to the region because caregivers and parents are earning more, they're less dependent on benefits, they're paying more taxes, they're buying more you name it. That was pre-COVID, but I think that's really significant. Are you saying a 15 to 20 X return on investment in childcare? That's an incredible investment. Absolutely. And you know, what's really crazy about that number? We were looking again at the short-term economic impacts on parents and caregivers of building these businesses. There's been a whole other line of work that shows a return of eight to one in terms of how children are impacted in later life because of having access to quality care, right? So we weren't even looking at that incredible impact, but just what it does for the parents and the childcare providers themselves. So yeah, it's wow. huge. And yeah, there's no question that childcare is one of the best economic investments that you can make for so many reasons. But then I do want to speak to this issue of equity because I think it's really important. I think one of the reasons that childcare has so long been undervalued and ignored is that historically, this is work that has fallen on the backs of women and primarily black and brown women, right? And we have a long history in this country of exploiting their labor for so many things, but one is to create a childcare system. And in the case of family childcare educators, they are so often caring for the children and the families that have the greatest barriers to accessing care, whether that's working non-standard hours, lack of access to transportation, not a lot of money to pay for care. Family child care is often meeting the needs of those parents and those families many, many 
essential workers have their children in family child care. Most of our child care programs have stayed open through the pandemic, and it is because of that deep, deep commitment to these families who are often essential workers and who absolutely have to have a place to put their kids. And so we have story after story of caregiver who has really, you know, put herself on the line to make sure that families and children have a safe place to go. That's incredible. You know, I think it was an interesting thing when I was looking for daycare for my son. You know, I saw these programs, thankfully, in the District of Columbia that provided like really strange hour childcare. And I was like, wow, why would someone want childcare at like 11 p.m. or midnight? And it, it was really eye opening, I think, to understand that there are people who really need those kinds of really flexible care programs. And so it's really awesome that the family providers that you work with are, be, are able to provide that. Thank you. And I'll just name that, you know, one group that definitely needs those non-standard hours are healthcare workers, right? So now more than ever, that non-standard hours care is super important and it's becoming the new normal, right? So having childcare options that do provide that flexibility, particularly for those that don't have the benefit of extended relative networks is just more important now than it's ever been before. Could you tell us a little bit about the the Family Care Network? I was reading before we got on the call to see how that worked. And I, you know, I see I see things on there about a warm line that you can call and ask questions to and, you know, and even things like grants. Yeah, great question. So, you know, a staffed family child care network, like all our kin, is really designed to be kind of a hub, a really rich, welcoming base of support for family child care educators. And so we have sort of four main strands of what we do. The first is helping folks who are providing care informally to become licensed and build those businesses, right? So they're complying with health and safety practices, and they're part of a professional community of educators, and they have what they need to get this business started. But then the next thing we do is really support them as educators. So, you know, I think earlier in the program, you mentioned the coaching that we do. We have really skilled educators, many of whom are former family child care providers themselves, who go in and model best practice around how to support children's learning and well-being right? Because anyone who has spent time as a parent knows children are learning all the time from the moment they're born. So really thinking about how to engage and scaffold that learning and bring the very best of what we know about how children learn into childcare programs. We also have lots and lots of workshops and trainings and series, and we used to do those all in person, and we would have dinner together, and they were really wonderful, and now we do them all online, but they are still fantastic spaces for educators to come together and, and learn and continue their training as professionals, which I think is so important. And we have all kinds of initiatives within that, like outdoor education, right, which is something our educators are really working on right now, obviously because of COVID-19, but was already a really great way to support children's learning. So lots of pieces of that. Then we have a whole training around how to run a business, because if you run a family child care, you are the teacher and you are the business owner. And so really figuring out how to manage your cash flow, how to write your contracts, how to negotiate with parents, all those pieces are important as well. And then the last thing that we do is, you know, each of our networks is located in a place 
whether that's New Haven or whether it's the Bronx, it's a place. And we want to make sure that all the folks who are supporting children and families in that area are bringing their resources to family childcare, whether it's the K through 12 school system or the pediatricians or the libraries or the museums. We want to make sure they're engaging and supporting family childcare educators and children and families. So really building out those networks to support our educators. So those are the big pieces of our work on the ground. And what we have seen is when we offer these services, family child care educators are already amazing. They will take everything that we can offer and just run with it to build even stronger programs that really meet children and family needs in, in such a deep and lasting way. I really like the, the community building aspect to that especially it's i feel like for child care and parenting it, it it was always the informal just go to the library or meet at the park and with you know the current situation that's not possible and so what what was the fallback and all our kin has has you know a little bit of formality to have workshops and 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 have some of those places to get together, even if it's on a, online. And so you can meet people and talk to folks and engage and <laughs> vent. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, again, that used to happen face to face. And now we're having to very intentionally create virtual spaces for it. And that's been a new skill set for us to learn. But boy, is it working. I mean, we have so many folks who are showing up to engage with each other as well as with us in these virtual spaces. And so I'm really glad that we're able to offer it, even though I have to tell you, I know you are all tech folks and I love tech, but I do long for the day when we can all just be in person together for sure. I don't but think I'm glad that we disagree. have this in the meantime. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I just, you know, yeah. this, this may be forward of me, but I feel like, I mean, just watching like my, my nanny, her, she brings her daughter who's doing remote kindergarten and I, I listen in on some of their classes in the mornings and I just feel constantly compelled to like I, I want to issue an apology on behalf of the entire tech industry that the tools that you have to use are just like in the state they are right now it's just it's not it's yeah it's 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 very very tough I'm sure there are many people working very hard at improvements to adapt to these, you know, unforeseen once in a century global pandemic situation. But yeah, still technology. And I think like something that's interesting to me that y'all were mentioning earlier is, is the extent to which like the, the localness of this sort of support programs and connections and resources, how like, yes, we, we work in tech and we often, I think, have this blind assumption of like, oh yeah, like as long as you have an internet connection, like, It'll be the same across the board, but like no one can raise my child like over the internet for me. Ultimately, it's, it cannot be outsourced at all. It's got to be near here. And like the things that we would make use of are, are near here. So I guess one question I had was if you have examples in mind to share about some of the differences in, in different communities that you've been a part of starting up by geography. I think some of it, you know, it's, it's kind of like micro cultures in a particular locality and adapting how you might interact or like the messaging for what fits within that culture almost, I feel. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because there are definitely cultural differences. But in fact, when you ask that question, what it makes me think of is the deep 
deep similarities because mm. family child care educators all love kids so much. They all go above and beyond and almost all of them have been so ignored for so long. So, you know, when we took our Connecticut model to the Bronx, we thought this is going to be weird and educators aren't going to show up and it's going to feel strange. But, you know, we held our first event on like this torrentially rainy, freezing cold night. It was in a basement of a college because we didn't have our space yet. And I thought no one's going to walk in and the room overflowed. And it felt like in all our kin space within about five minutes because of these family child care educators and because of the place they were coming from and the reason they cared and how they cared. And then just last week, I gave this keynote in Nebraska, virtually, I was not in Nebraska, to a group of family child care educators. And at the end, I asked for some of their stories. So now we're going right. We went from Connecticut. We went to the Bronx. Now we're in Nebraska. And the stories they shared of the things they were doing to make sure families were supported I could have been sitting with our educators in New Haven or the Bronx. So there are certainly differences, but I don't know. It is really extraordinary the the shared passion and love that family child care educators bring to this work. It always kind of astonishes me. And frankly, I'm I'm a little bit in awe of the people who do this work. As a parent myself who, like you, you know, I, I, I know how hard this is and what they do is really amazing. Yeah, the universality of that is something I think about even just for, we had a summer intern on our team these last few months and I introduced to him as like, there's, as we get to know each other, you know, we, we, we've never met in person. We may never meet depending on how things go, but to have those, to in building that relationship on a front gangs in that point of, oh yeah, you're a person. I'm a person. We're people and like just how much that smooths things out like as much as I enjoy working with like cold hard logic of computers and programming like we are we are people it's not you can't just make rules around all of those things and govern behavior that way yeah the love of children is is definitely one of the one of the great universal principles no question there for sure seems like we can start to think about our our next segment that we usually do. So this is our genius fail where we go around and share examples we can think of from recent times of either particular parenting geniuses or fails or just anything else that, again, to the you're a person, I'm a person, we're all people. We we all have challenges of, of our own that we're facing. I have a quick one this week, so I'll just go first on that, which is I had started going to a local pizzeria. They'll, they'll sell loaves of country bread. I have not gotten into the like making your own sourdough or anything like that. It seems like too much for me right now, but I have been buying, you know, fresh, fresh loaves of bread. And I thought I'd get one this week and make like a really tasty corn chorizo chowder that I do with the last of the summer corn that we have here in New Jersey. And so I thought like, oh, I will entice my three-year-old son into trying out the soup which like I think is like fairly toddler friendly in its flavors but it's still just it's new and therefore suspect and that ended up being a total failure three days this week he has eaten bread and water and on one night I was also able to get some cherry tomatoes into him so yeah it's very nutritious don't tell my pediatrician about it <laughs> Oh 
<laughs> That's great. Okay, I'll I'll go real quick. I have one, and it's kind of one via proxy. It's a I have a, a senior network engineer on my team, and very smart person, fantastic with tech, but was contacted by families in his neighborhood that are struggling to support virtual learning because I believe their exact words were the sound doesn't work. And so he was trying to figure this out and and couldn't and was stuck. And so they went to him because they knew that he was pretty good with this stuff. And then he had, he posted on Slack at work and asked a bunch of folks and all the parents chimed in with, you know, make sure they're using headphones with a wire. They need to have a mic, you know, like put, you know, make sure their computer is close to the Wi-Fi or plug it into plug it into an actual cable, like all of these things. And I just couldn't help but reflect on the fail that is even a senior network engineer who is struggling <laughs> getting kids online to, to do school. I hope there wasn't any printing involved. If they have to wrestle with printers, that's just yeah, that's another right. level. Oh Actually, dear. I think we're doing a, a significantly less printing because we all turn <laughs> it in online too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. I guess I'll go. So I don't know if this is a genius or a fail. I think it's a com- combination. You know, so screen time obviously has been a thing for everybody. And just for context, my, my son is five now and remote kindergarten is just a head scratcher. <laughs> so he's on the screens all day and then he wants to be on screens more now when he's playing with me and he's starting to get into Minecraft like every kid ever. <laughs> So I'm like, well, why don't we get these Minecraft Legos and then we can do the Legos together. And so we had a lot of fun building the Lego set, but then like he just immediately wanted to go play Minecraft afterwards. So So I've been relenting a little bit because like it's like a nice thing that we can do together and like we can talk about the creative things that we're building together and stuff like that. But I don't know, it's more screen time in an era of too much screen time. I can I can relate to that very very well. Um, and yes, I agree. It is more screen time, and I really wish my son would have less of that. However, I I firmly believe that Minecraft is is you know this generation's Legos. And when you talk to engineers and folks that are in the industry now, you know it's a very common theme that they grew up doing that sort of thing. And I think Minecraft is is the way that happens, and it's also a good gateway to a, learning a lot of other tech and programming and, and, and things like that, it, like it, it lends itself very well. So I'm an advocate for that, even if <laughs> it's just cool. probably a little too much screen time. <laughs> yeah. I like to believe, Chris. I want to believe. Yeah, we got to believe. Come on. <laughs> Give me some hope. Man, it's like all this tech stuff. I just feel like we're faced with such extremes, you know, like it can be so good. And we also know it can be so bad. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, hard. absolutely. It is funny, though, because all the social media stuff, you know, because I have a 15 year old that that we worried so much about and, you know, still worry about now. I am so grateful for that. My 15 year old can actually spend time with her friends, that she can be on Netflix party watching a movie with them. All these ways of connecting. I have to say I'm grateful for this technology in a way that I that I never was before. Totally so, agree. And with, so, with my teenagers, yeah. like, they wouldn't have social interaction right now, other than, you know, their siblings. <laughs> right. 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 Well, my genius and my fail, I think, are the are the same, which <laughs> we got a pandemic kitten, as as I think many people have done. And our kitten is ridiculously adorable, and she brings us all just 
heaps of joy. So I'm really glad that we got her. But, you know, so my husband's teaching remotely. My daughter's going to class remotely. I will often have presentations and important meetings. And the kitten just has this genius for knowing whose presentation is the most important and essentially <laughs> climbing up the back of their that person's chair and perching on their head. And the amount of time that we all spend getting frantic texts from each other, like, please come take this kitten away. Help, help, help. And we'll all go, you know, sort of running around the house and pulling off the kitten definitely occupies more of our time than, than I think we thought was going to happen when we got this cat. But it is worth it. It is definitely worth the disruption. She's she's a really wonderful addition to our household. So cute. Well, so I would I would welcome it in a presentation I had to watch. <laughs> Same. I, you know, that honestly, that's something I'm loving about the world we're in right now is I get to like learn about people's families and lives and see their pets. It's amazing. So I am very much in favor. (laughs) (laughs) So before I go ahead and wrap up the episode, I guess I just want to give Jessica a chance. Like if there's anything else you'd want to share with the listeners of the podcast and very importantly as well, like any, you know, if, if people wanted to learn more about your work with All Our Kin, what are the best ways to do so? Yeah. So what I would say is, you know, advocate for childcare, advocate with government, advocate with your employer. If you have a childcare provider, even if your child isn't going right now, if you can afford it, please keep paying him or her so that that business can stay open. If you want to get involved with All Our Kin or with advocacy efforts, we'd love to have you. Our website is www.allourkin.org. You can follow me on Twitter, Jessica Sager, A-OK, or follow All Our Kin on Twitter. And we're on Facebook and Instagram as well. So please, you know, stand up for childcare because we're all going to need it both now and on the other side of this thing. Thanks. Thanks for all the information, Jessica. And thanks again so much for, for joining us. And thanks to the listeners of today's Parent Driven Development Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have questions that you'd like us to chat about on air, email us at panel at parentdrivendevelopment.com or find us on Twitter at parentdrivendev. And if you like what you hear, please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash parentdrivendev or rate us on iTunes. Thanks so much.